Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi there, Jen. Hello, Julie. So glad to be here. Yes, so glad you're here. And today we have Jen Klein-Clark to talk about her identity transitions. And she, she's, she was making a, um, a chosen identity transition towards becoming a, a business owner that made a profit, let's put it that way. Is that kind of a good definition? Yeah, yeah. And so she was, you know, had been really doing well on that angle. And then she had this sudden, um, unexpected, uninvited event of her husband getting very ill, life-threatening uh, infection, right? The, the last time was, yes. The first time was um, kind of the discovery of the disease. Okay. So, so what, what the, the illness part brought was definitely mortality motivation moment that a lot of people have when these kind of things happen and they, they start to really, really dig deep and, and question, you know, how they're living their life and what they're, what's important to them. So let's just hear your story, Jen. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so in in January of 2020, so right before mm, right everything before. went to hell with the pandemic, I was running two businesses. I was starting my business coaching practice and I still had my advertising business. And I was doing okay. Right? I was getting by. I was I had things that I was supposed to be covering and I was covering them not much more. My husband was doing great with his business. And in January, for over New Year's, we decided to, uh, in 2019, we had read all the Harry Potters, a chapter a night, we read aloud with our kids, got through all the Harry Potter, and then at the end, we celebrated, we went to Disney, we went to Harry Potter World, and the first day, my husband is walking around with us at Harry Potter World, and he's uncomfortable. He's slow. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. I, I feel like I'm holding you guys back. I think we should get a wheelchair just so we can keep moving. Oh, wow. And, um, and you're young. And, well, and you have, you're like, you yeah, we're probably have... 48, 49. I can't quite how many years ago that was, but about that, you know, so we were young enough uh, that this was, it was weird, but, um, but he was frustrated. And I, I just like, let's just make this easy. And um so we did that. And my dad met us that evening. Uh, he flew in and we did the Disney with, with my, my parents. And, um, and he checked him out. He's a, he's a doctor. And he, he, all signs led to gout. All mm. signs led to, he's like, it's angry. There's swelling. Does, nothing else really made it much sense. Except weeks later, we, we go through Disney with him in a scooter. But we come home. We're expecting this to, to reduce. And it doesn't get better. And so I'm like, okay, really, let's go get an x-ray and just figure out what the heck's going on. Again, he says he's uncomfortable, right? Like all he says, well, the x-ray showed that he had like seven fractures in his foot. <laughs> it's, it's ludicrous to think that we're like, come on, keep up. <laughs> That's like my mom back, packing up her mother's house with a broken back all by herself because she was 10 hours away. Oh, so painful. Yeah, it's exactly right. Like, it's just crazy that we were just, we just were like, push through, push through. And, but, but he didn't know because he didn't have really any pain. And oh, so really, okay. And he didn't have an injury. He had to, a crazy to, injury. Like, like, oh, he did have a crazy injury. Yeah, like he had all no, these fractures. I mean, I mean, but he didn't know that he had an injury. He didn't know. He didn't know there was no. Like nothing event. dropped on his foot to break no, his bones. There wasn't anything. He didn't trip or anything. And it wasn't deformed. You know, it was just swollen, right? And so 
we, um, this is, it's major, right? It's like mid-January. Uh, there's multiple fractures. Bones are just kind of like floating around. They're not connected even. It was, it was, it was bizarre. Uh, so we have to have major surgery. We have to connect all of this stuff. But we have to do all of this because, it, it, so he has this disease called Charcot. And um, basically there's such significant neuropathy. There's no pain signals in either of his feet anymore that the brain doesn't talk well to the feet. Pain, pain's useful because it actually sends messages to the brain saying there, there's a problem. And so, so there's, so the disease just allows for when something goes wrong, your brain doesn't know it and it gets, it can just get so much worse while you're ignorant, you know? So it's complicated. The, the disease is, is very complicated, but because there's no pain receptors, typically people who have this level of surgery don't heal well. Mm -hmm. uh, and the surgery just compounds problems and mm -hmm. they often, it doesn't heal. And so sometimes there's amputation. And so mm -hmm. in the course of the, the week or so leading up to him going into the hospital for the surgery, my brother, my sister, and my father, all doctors, all like brilliant in their medical field, all sit me down privately without the other person knowing that like, there's a good chance he's not going to make it. There is a good chance that this more than an amputation, he might not make it. He well, because the Charcot is so significant of a disease that your brain, without the without the ability for your brain to know that it needs to send the white blood cells to heal, the it just that that gangrene typically uh, or sepsis can just take over so quickly. And it in like months, people with Sherco, when they have that level of surgery, often just don't make it. Uh, like now, did he have did he have neuropathy before this? He must have. So his neuropathy is is interesting in that you can touch him and he'll be like, "Yep, you're touching me." But you could like stab him and he'd be like, "Yep, you're touching me." Like he just didn't know that the, the different the, levels of feeling. Yeah. So. And looking back, we had some indication, but we just didn't know, you know? And so I was like, well, hell no, you know, like uh, one, I was like, okay, we need to, we need to change you. You need to get on board with some kind of health regimen that's going to keep you around because our kids are little uh, and I'm not doing this by myself. Like that was never the plan. No. And, and he really, it, it has been, had been the breadwinner, you know, like I was doing okay, kind of making things come along, but, um, but I was, I was the primary person moving everything around in the house, right? I was, I was making our lives work. Uh, so I was just, I was, I was pissed. I was just so angry, not at him, but just at the situation. I was like, this is not the way this is supposed to go guys. And, uh, and so that was the first major time where I was like, I need to fix this. I need to make some decisions and, and correct my life so that if, if, he, if, if he's not going to be around, I have to be able to make this work. And that was huge. So then I sold the advertising business. I used that to really kind of like- So get... wait, wait, before you take, yeah. say what you do next- so you're in this mortality motivation period. What did that do to your identity? I mean, I, so I'm hearing it is that you're like, I have to become a different person. Did you, did you like, what was that like? I don't know that I was as clear about identity as I am now. I definitely was like, things have to be different. Not necessarily. I had to be different yet. I, I wasn't there. I had a lot more clarity that like, I am responsible for making the pieces on the board move where I really had been just kind of like allowing me to get moved around, you know? So I, I very much became much more intentional and tenacious with what was happening. But still, I don't think that I really owned it to the extent that I do now. Mm -hmm. And that this idea that like, 
I am the maker of the thing. I am the maker of this life and, and only me. Um, yeah, that, so that I think happened with, with the second surgery. But in that time, I, we did a lot of things to have me, you know, in selling the business and in, in really stepping into what I thought the what my, I should be focused on as a coach. Because so you had two businesses and one of them you didn't really want that much. Or... I, yeah, it was a, I was a fun little business, but it, it was capped. I was only going to ever be able to make so much money. And, um, and that's not what I wanted, right? I wanted to be able to really support my family and do all the cool things that I wanted to be able to do. And so, so yeah, so I sold the business and I was, I was really proud of that and stepping into the coaching practice, but still, I, I mean, I still, there's still, I, I'm definitely a mom and a business owner. There's a lot of, uh, you know, just moving parts with all of that. And, and my husband was also super feeling, he was, he's always taking the responsibility for like being the breadwinner, like this this level of burden on him is huge. Even if I made more money than him, I don't think that that would go away, right? Like that's just like kind of, it's baked into who he is. But that burden was weighs on him and, and it weighs on him in his health. And so at, we did a ton of things to get him healthier uh, and really get him to be thriving again physically. But as he wanted to build into the business, he let a lot of that slip. And so- Wait, wait, build into- So, you know, so he did so much to get his health greatly improved, but as he then, so then I think, you know, he was paying more attention to the physical health than he was to the business. So then he's like, well, I got to get the business back up. And then he felt, I, I guess it was kind of like one or the other, right? So Either then or, his yeah. health started to decline. Not dramatically so, not that anybody really noticed, not that he even really noticed, but so one foot has this, has all this machinery in it, right? His, his right foot has lots of screws and plates and things to hold all of those bones together. And both of his feet, he wears these braces uh, so that the brace carries more of his weight than his bones do, because his bones really just aren't strong enough anymore. And he went away, he went on a, a business trip, came back, and then I left like right after. So while I'm away, Friday, I leave Friday, he's fine. Saturday, he calls my dad and says, hey, I have this uh, like quarter size uh, abrasion, you know, like um, the beginning of a wound. Now it wasn't even a wound, but some abrasion probably from the brace, right? The brace was just hitting it a little odd, and I'm concerned about it, as you should be when you have that level of neuropathy, right? Well, the wound got a staph infection. Oh. So from Saturday to Sunday, it, it was crazy. And so Sunday, he gets the doctor's appointment for Monday. But by Monday, it was horrendous. Just, like out of a movie, just horrible. Um, staph infections are super dangerous and aggressive. Yeah. And I think the neuropathy where you don't have any, there's no assistance to get better, right? Like it's, it's kind of doing its own thing uh, on his leg without, without any healing, you know? So it was just, it was, it was awful. Uh, so he had, so he had the doctor's appointment immediately went into surgery uh, and they had to like excavate all the gunk. And, uh, and then he had this huge open wound. And I, it, it felt like we were right back where we had started. You know, we weren't, it wasn't as, it wasn't as critical, but it was scary. It was, and, and it was scary in that, what if this never goes away? What if we're, oh, I'm always, and I guess I sort of do. I always going to have this kind of concern over my head of like, things are fine today, but you know, 48 hours was dramatically different for him. Um, and I guess that's well, and you. all of us. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, our whole life changed. You know, so we live in a split level house. 
by the grace of God, we have a house where he can come in with no stairs because uh, he was non-weight-bearing for months. So he could come in and live in our den that had a half bath for two months, uh, both surgeries, that, that, that's what happened. But he's in a hospital bed in our den uh, and has no access to the rest of the house. You know, so the kitchen, the cleaning, the moving of the children to their things, all of it, once again, was funneled through me. And it was, I, it was, it was a crazy time. Um, and wait, now this is during COVID also. Both of these were pretty much, well, this wasn't as bad. So the first one was totally during COVID. It was um, actually, it was February 18th of 2020 that he had the surgery. So, you know, three weeks later, uh, it would have been a very different surgery. I, I wouldn't have been allowed in the hospital, that, that, you know, all that. So that was, so we kind of went into isolation right before everybody else in the world went into isolation because we were just trying to protect him. Uh, and then this last surgery was just this past October. So okay. pretty post, you know, our, our new normal, right? But um, but I just really had this clarity that I I I I love having I love being in a partnership. I I'm I believe that marriage just gives you that insurance that things can we can have bad things over here, but we have the stability over here. And we definitely played that for many years, but I didn't want to count on that anymore. I, I don't want that to be my, my go-to, right? Like it's great for it to be there, but I want to be able to just stand on my own. I want to, I want to give our family that stability regardless of what happens, right? And so that's, I think the true identity crisis, the transition to say, I'm going to stand on my own with you right alongside me, but it's a different paradigm, right? Like, so we, we've, we're, we're still redefining what that means for each of us. I think we had been so intermingled and, and not that we're not, because I mean, we've been married over 20 years now, you know, but, but I, I want to I want to just own who I am and every piece of it. I want to stand on my own. I want to I want this I want my business to fully support all that we do. And awesome, his business can fully support all that we do. But um, but together we can do amazing things that we'd never be able to do otherwise. But I don't want I don't want um, less if if one of us is not playing full out right. Mm -hmm. You're so before we got on the call, we were talking about how we knew each other since back in 2015 when I was working on doing my clothing business. And one of the reasons that doing making clothes for people is so hard is because you have so many wives doing it as a hobby. And their, their husbands are subsidizing their work. And so they're basically completely underselling the value of their work. Yeah. And then those of us who want to actually make a living doing it, it makes it very difficult because there's these people doing it, the labor of love type of thing. And it's hell of work to do. Yeah. And so you just reminded me of that with, with your husband where you want to you want to be able to make the money to stand on your own. Yeah, it really, and, and that's a large part of what I want to help people with is like, let's own the idea of being financially independent. Like the power that sits in that when you can then not make a decision of like, am I going to pay for this or that, which is just sucks, right? Um, but, and then the next level, I'll be like, okay, everything's good. So now we need like more internal motivation to say, okay, I don't need to do more, but I want to, because I want to, I want to, I want us to be able to do this. Uh, that, that's where I think it really gets exciting. That's where we become, uh, you know, that self-actualization because it's, it's, it's our doing. It's, it's our life that we get to then fund and contribute, right? But like, let's, 
what could we do with wealth? What, what would you contribute to um, and to make the world a better place, right? Like it, you get to have fun, much more interesting conversations with yourself, with others when we're at that level of self-actualization. Right, you're above survival, you're, you're, you're comfortable. And then to, to go to, the, to level up another level is where you can have so much freedom to decide what you wanna do, how you wanna do it, what, you know, who do you want to impact, things like that. Yeah, I, I do think it's a challenge, right? Is that new, like the new level, new devil, because so much of our lives, our culture is based on like, make enough to cover your expenses. Like that's what we're trained to do. And, and to make more, like to put in a new way of, of working, a new service or, you know, raise your prices so that you can go and live above your means. Like that's an uncomfortable place. And you have to, it takes a whole new level of deservedness and, um, and self-actualization really, you know, just to, uh, to want that and to find the motivation to do it, not because you need to, but because it's going to allow this kind of freedom and choice. Mm -hmm. And some of us who are service oriented, maybe we don't need more money, but we need to be of service and to, to, you know, make an impact. And so that is a, uh, a, you know, motivating factor. Yeah. You know, I, I, I struggle with the idea. Like um, I, my, I call myself Jen Klein Clark, the profit engineer and, and people struggle with profit because like, oh, you know, I'm not it for the profit. I'm not, I'm not trying to make, you know, tons of money here. I'm like, okay, that I get that. But we want to do more than just get by, right? We, first, as entrepreneurs, we got to live, a, we're going to live longer than our, our we're going to be able to work, right? So we need to make sure that we're taking care of our future gen, the future jewelry, right? And so often entrepreneurs do not have retirement plans, which just scares the hell out of me. So there's that, Uh and, and there's all the things that you don't normally take care of, like our taxes and our, you know, our, and the thing that you pay for once a year, but you're not setting aside the money all along so that it's not like some surprise hit. But, but what would be awesome, right? I was just thinking like, man, I have like one of the best library systems ever. Like I could ask for just about any book and I just put it in my email uh, online and they'll send me an email your book is waiting for you at the library. Like every time online audio, I just, I love it. Love it. Like how could I support them to be an even better library? Like how, how cool would that be if I could just play to serve the things that need serving, right? Like right. that level of contribution, I think is cool. The, the making memories for my kids, like that's above and beyond, right? Um, the simple things like I have a 1980 house. I have a, a powder blue bathtub in my master, but my husband really shouldn't be climbing in and out of a tub anymore, you know, to take his shower. So like that level of stuff that's not in the critical, but wouldn't it be nice to have that paid for in advance, like not to like be sweating over it, you know? So there's so many things that I think we, we write off because, oh, I don't need all that money what if you had it? What could you do? What would life be like for you? Right. I, I want to change. I want to, I want, I love the idea of financially independent. Like, like let's make that the goal of not getting by. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was super struggling with my son and he was in gymnastics and it, it was, there was a $700 annual fee plus a $200 monthly fee. And, and, and there was another boy and, and another single mom, and she was doing some training on real estate investment or something. I don't know. 
and I told her uh, whatever she was doing I was I was interested in it but I made the mistake of saying all I need is two hundred dollars more a month and and she looked at me and she said you know what I don't think I'm going to work because she was just designing her business. She, I don't think I'm going to work with people who only want to just have enough. And that one sentence is exactly what you're talking about. It's it's a mindset change where where we give ourselves permission to ask for more. Yeah, to just dream what's possible. Like I'm all for sustainability. Like I, I don't think enough entrepreneurs are sustainable, right? Month to month, they're like, am I going to get there? Am I going to pay all the bills? Like, I, I don't, I hate that. Like we did not leave our crappy corporate jobs to come and be desperate. Be still in the, which bill am I going to pay? Like that's bullshit. And so I, that's my first level. Like, oh, let's get past all that. But, but really this, and it does, it takes a new, that's why I think with this identity and what I, I, I'm kind of excited about in the identity is like, who do we get to step into, right? Because it's not, a, it's not enough to just to say, I'm going to show up for my business because there's days when you're ready and you're like gung ho, but there's plenty of times when, when I don't feel like it right where I I feel like crap and and but my, I can't sit and wait until I feel good again right like you, you we have to decide to show up differently and so I'm playing with this concept of like the alter ego like creating a persona of who who's going to run your business like the best of you your most beautiful high self Full out, your full out self. Right. Like, and she's all the pieces. And maybe, you, you know, so I was, I was watching Cruella. Did, did you what? I'm a Disney fan. Do, do you know no. Cruella? Yeah, I know. But it's, it's awesome. So, so 101 Dalmatians, the cartoon has the evil villain, this woman who wants to take the coats of, of the Dalmatians, right? Well, then they made a real life movie with uh, Emma Thompson and Emma Stone, who are just awesome character, like uh, personification of characters. It's worth it just to watch with this in mind because they like were so, had such conviction. They were, they, they didn't question themselves. They decided and they moved, right? And I'm like, and it was all, it was pretty evil and not, not, not for the best of reasons, but I, that, that embodiment of conviction is that I, I, like, I really, I love that I am a tenacious person. Like, I, I see what I want and I'm going to go after it. But but they had conviction. You know, so who is it? Who do you want? What pieces do you want to pull from a Cruella, uh, from, you know, whatever, whoever are the pieces? And to create this most beautiful version of you and ask her to step in and run the business. Like, that's what I think the next level of identity is for me is like like not not to well it is somewhat I hope that it's somewhat playful but not that I'm like pretending but that I'm just calling on a very clear vision of who it is that I want to be and I want to be making the decisions in the business so I'm not making it from my frantic anxious overwhelmed place I'm making it from groundedness and playfulness and awesomeness right and you're using a role model yeah well I think it's a hodgepodge of a role model right like I want to pull a little here and a little right. here and I want to recreate but yeah you're, you're doing you're making your own avatar role model yeah avatar that's right that's exactly so that I I hope that I'd love to just play with people on on what how to do that for themselves and what that might mean whatever, it, to be a stay-at-home mom, to, to decide what the next chapter of whatever your life is, how are you going to play it, right? Like, and I think you'll show up for your business, definitely. The other piece I would say is, is worthiness. Like, when I really think about what was getting in my way, like, I get in my way 
It's my, <laughs> yes. right? Like more it, than it anything comes down else. to us. We need yeah. the right systems. And I definitely have paid for programs that maybe didn't serve me as much as some other programs, but more often than not, the system that you have been, you know, presented with will work for you if you show up for it, but we get in our own way. And man, I definitely have done that. So how, and I, when I look at why do I get in my own way, it's, it's not good enough. There's this, all this worthiness. Is it, am I, or I, I did something that I should, you know, looking back at it was the wrong decision. And so I have to spend how many days to beat myself up over it before I can get back to it, right? Like all this, there's not enough compassion for ourselves. There's not enough groundedness and just being good to ourselves and, and allowing for things to, to unfold, even if it's a different timetable than you would like. And how do you recognize that you're getting in your own way? Oh, well. How many so, pianos have to fall on your head? <laughs> right. I, well, I definitely, I feel, so yesterday, I, for whatever reason, was a kind of, a, I considered a listless day. Like I just couldn't quite get the traction that I was looking for. And, and there would have been other times where I would have then, spent more time being frustrated at myself for having this kind of less than ideal productivity day, right? But yesterday I was able to say, I see you listlessness and like, I'm going to, I'm just going to feel the feelings. What, what is coming up for me? Uh, and, and this idea of just leaning into whatever the uckiness is, right? Like before I would have wanted to just been pissed at myself and wanted to distract with, you know, ice cream and binging on some crappy TV show. Um, but instead I just stayed in the office uh, on the comfortable couch, not at my desk, but, but in my office and really making the decision to like, okay, what's, what's, what are the feelings? And, and so I thought, I think it was quicker. I think I got through it. I didn't beat myself up for it because it, it is, they, they're real feelings and I'm human. Um, and I had so much more clarity today. So I think there was like this fermenting that happened that needed me to be kind of non-productive so that I could have the productivity today. So that's huge. Yeah, we do need to have time off to have the insights. And, but that's huge that you could recognize and give yourself permission to have downtime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was frustrated, right? It's not what I would, it's not what it wasn't a planned day, but. I, 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 I'm just so much better at recognizing, well, here I am. And so how are we going to move forward from this point where I, I, not all the time, but at least more often can let myself appreciate. I, I, I don't get to, I, I am here. Right. And so that, that I have to just accept. And then I can decide how I'm going to, what's my next step. Mm -hmm. So you are um, in the, in, so in my book, and this is from Herminia Ibarra, who's a expert on identity transition, especially mm -hmm. career transition. And so there was, when, when your husband, the, the couple of times when he was, you know, could have died, you all of that brought up sort of put you in this liminal space where you weren't who you were before because you from now on you're never going to be just sort of going for the ride and knowing that you're supported by this other person yeah but you're not quite to where you're headed and so anyway this is called the liminal space and is filled with disorientation and ambiguity. And, but what I'm hearing is that you're very close to the threshold 
of getting out of liminality and then being able to like plan more where you're going and uh, you know set more concrete goals on exactly how you want things to be and what what you want those things to be is that kind of um accurate really accurate i wish i'd had that definition you know three years ago that's um, why i'm writing the book <laughs> that's why i have this podcast it's so powerful i they're definitely disorientation and ambiguity was was a lot of what the last three years were and and i laugh when people talk about like how hard the pandemic was just like oh my goodness i had like layers upon layers and my also i lost my mom it was so 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 sad that um that nothing to do with covid but she uh got pancreatic cancer or we found out that she had pancreatic cancer in 20 I can't get my years straight. Uh, October of 2021, man, man, time has flown. So, uh, and we had six months, you know, with her just being super sick, super miserable, and then passing really uh, a very difficult death. And so, and I, my parents are amazing people. And, you know, that, that was, was a whole nother level of, of trauma. And so I, I probably, particularly with her, I just felt like I just have to like be in this misery. There is nothing I can do. It was, it was so her her cancer was so far advanced. It was just about like being with her and trying to find give her some moments of peace, which weren't many. And so I think that also just pushed me to just be in the suckiness, you know. Uh, because there was no other way. Uh, and I, I, I think I've learned from that. It's so much quicker. It's so much more effective to just be in that, allow it to just completely be embody the emotion. And then you process it and you usually have some lesson learned at the other side of it. So, so yeah, I think... <laughs> Through difficulty, I, I've I've now towards the end, and I, I'm I'm doing this look back to say, well, what really was impactful there? What can I learn from this? What were the steps that needed to be taken? Could I help other people through something like that too? Not not you know helping your parents transition as much as really stepping into that moment and making it for what it is. Right. And it's, it's so such a so important because there's only one time that happens with a parent, well, you have two parents, maybe, but it's, it's just, it's one death. And if, if you try to avoid the pain and avoid the reality then you miss this what what you said i i didn't want to interrupt you but what did you learn through that by being in just it was sunk such in a, reality it was a crazy crazy time and we were luckily it was late 2021 so for the most part somebody was able to be with her in the hospital for the time that she was in the hospital um you know, a few months before she would have been there by herself. So that was awful. Another piece is that my my dad was really sick and we were expecting my dad not to be able to, to, to not make it. And then- Oh no. <laughs> it was insane. We actually, my sister and I were with my mom for the weekend because my dad was in the hospital and we were expecting to get news that he wasn't gonna make it. And we <gasps> wanted to be there for my mom. And my mom, like in a day, turned jaundice, bright yellow. Uh, and that, that's how we found out that, that she had cancer. Um, and my father, as only my parents could do, my father's like, she's not going to die without me. And so like, he like got better, like almost overnight. And, and now he's thriving. He's, he's living well. And that was, that was, we never expected that, you know, but so man, 
I, I really had to come to look at my stories with my parents. I spent so much more time with them. They're, they're, they were looking at moving out of their house. So I was like helping them on, you know, pack it up and, and unearth all the closets and everything. So this, it was this deep look into who you thought you were and, and who are you now and, and what are you doing, you know, and, and cleaning up the relationship and saying the things that you thought you said or you, you always wanted to say and just doing that stuff, you know, and, and it was, it was miserable and wonderful, you know, I have precious moments with my mom. I'll try not to cry now, but, um, and now in my relationship with my father has totally changed, you know, like there's just, I, I think I allowed myself to grow up. Like I would still very much my, my parents' daughter and, and tried to fit their paradigm of what they were expecting, which I wasn't living, you know, like I said, my, my father, my brother, my sister were all doctors. My mother managed my father's medical practice. And then there's me, you know, like this kind of crazy girl over here, advertising businesses and business coach. Like they don't, they don't understand me, right? I'm definitely the odd chick over there. And I just decided to own it. I'm just like, you, you're going to love me regardless. So I might as well just like stop beating myself up for not following the path that you wanted me to lead and just be here. Enjoy this. Enjoy you in, in the moment that I can. Yeah. I don't know. I grew up. That is huge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I really saw all of that until I just tried to unpack it. It is. It, 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 I, I definitely, I'm in a different place of the grieving than I think a lot of people in my shoes are. Um, I, I, I miss her terribly. I'm so glad she didn't continue to suffer, you know, so I, I, I have that peace. But I'm also just like, okay, but here we are. Like, I need to figure out how to uh, can create a relationship with her and my kids. Like that now is that you're like, how do we move forward with this? How do we keep her in my life, in my kids' lives? She was an incredible force. And um, I, I, I don't want to let that go. Right? Now, where did you get the courage to show up with your parents and, and grow up? Hmm. Because, you know, family patterns, that's why they're so difficult to go home on holidays and stuff, because we, we've become a, our, we've grown into ourselves, and yet when we go back with our family, we fall lockstep, is that the word, is that the, into, into these family patterns again, yeah, it's just so hard to be yourself. Well, I don't know that I'm myself. It's not like I'm saying everything that comes into my head because that's not going to serve. Uh, but but I am definitely showing up differently. One, they needed me, right? I needed to be present for my mom. She needed to figure out how to transition and, and accept. And, and that can only happen if I was present with her. Right. So part of it was just, I don't know, reading the room, you know, just like taking care of what was happening right then and there. And the same for my dad. My dad was was not an emotional guy, but he's they were married. Like his they're they're 80, right? You know, so like their entire lives they've been married. He's never not lived with someone. So he and he's emotional now. Like I think I helped him express like stuff, you know, so like. So that was a piece of it. It's like, I, I want to be there for you. And, and, and the work, the work of just stepping into a coaching practice, I think I've always said like the, the best uh, personal development that you could have is to run your own business. You know, like 
the work of a personal brand, the work that we do, you have to unearth the gunk, right? And so I've done the EFT and the Site K and I've done the work of just like, I grew up as the black sheep of my family and I owned black sheep, which meant to me that I chose wrong, right? That there was a path that I was supposed to take and I did not take it and shame on me, right? Like that, that came with that label of black sheep. And so I had to figure out how to heal that. I, I'm still the black sheep. My family loves to introduce me as such, but but it, now it it's it doesn't have the impact that it has anymore. Like that that's that label doesn't really apply anymore. It, I am on my own, wired differently than most, doing important work, making a difference for people in a way that isn't really done in in the broad spectrum of things. And with that is the freedom to be me. And it has to be. The more me I am, the better I am in service. Wow. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've stepped over the threshold out of liminality. Cool. I'll take that. <laughs> and, and that doesn't, so what I've learned from Herminia Ibarra is that that doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. It just means that we have this clarity and we're able to make like more direct progress to it. Because in order to, to, to get out of liminality, the job is to do all this experimentation and pivoting and, you know, experiment and try new stuff and just, you know, make all these pivots. Yeah. And then, and then eventually we find our way over this threshold because we have clarity of where we're going and we still have new skills to to learn we still have you know aren't we we have we need to learn more knowledge but we we know what we need and we're able to to make progress towards it yeah i definitely think i'm there i mean i don't know that you're ever done but I definitely feel yeah. like I'm on the other side of the bridge and ready to, like, what's next? Like, I'm more excited now about stepping into owning this, this place of mine, you know, um, which is cool, right? Like, I, I'm, I am definitely a different bird. And so let's, let's play with this. Let's really make it for what it is and see what, what's possible. Totally. So before we wrap up, give me some like three snapshots of, of who you were identity wise. So like in 2015, when we met in this business development class, and then when your husband got sick the first time, sort of the first and second time when, when this mortality motivation supercharged you, and where and who you are today? Mm, goodness. Okay. <laughs> so, 2015, I was in my head a lot. I really, I had a business that I was doing pretty good at, but I got in my way a lot, and I beat myself up for getting in my way. And there was a lot I didn't like about myself. Uh, even as I would say, like, I've always been an optimistic, pretty, you know, uh, passionate, purposeful person. I still beat myself up a ton. And so I would say that was, that's a pretty accurate picture of 2015. <laughs> when, when my husband got sick, I mean, I, I was pissed. I, it was, it was. He got better by my anger. You know, like I was just, I was fueled, determined to not have him die and that we were going to figure this out. I, I don't know. I'm sure that between getting that diagnosis, which is probably like February and, you know, June, I probably read 50 or 60 books on, you know, what we should be doing and what this really means. And I, I was... I'm somewhat of an expert now, you know, and how to, how to look at this. 
Um, and so that tenaciousness certainly comes across, but it was it was not a healthy place um, in that, I don't know. I don't know how clear, I was clear in that we are getting to the finish line, but I was, um, what do you call it when you have like the blinders on? I couldn't really see anything else around me, uh, which was a crazy time because, you know, we were all encased in our house and uh, my husband was bed bound. So for me to have those blinders on at that particular time, homeschooling and all of that, it was, it was nuts. And, and then I would say now, There's relief. There's 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 a release of just like not white knuckling my way through. We I can tell you a whole other story about just like coming into our family, our our how we got both of our kids is pretty amazing. Uh, and so, I've always enjoyed that. I've always it's such a, a miracle that we have our little family. But I don't know how much time I could just breathe into it and just enjoy them and, and, and let the gratitude be the leading factor, you know? And so releasing my hands off the handlebars has allowed for more gratitude to come in. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a journey. <laughs> yeah. And congratulations. True. You know, I, my husband's thriving now. He's doing so well. I'm so proud of him. Uh, another piece was in this last surgery, I realized like, I will help. Like for the first few months, you know, I had to cook everything he ate, but I was like, but this is on you now. Like you need to own this and take responsibility in a way that I really probably did not give him the first time around. Like I was just like forced forcing it to happen, right? And it worked until it didn't because it wasn't mine to make, you know, it's his yeah. life, it's his decision. And so uh, I think, I think he's coming into that ownership too. Also, because I'm just, I'm more me, I'm more, I'm going to be grounded, I'm doing my thing. And that allows everybody else to kind of go and do their thing. You reminded me of when when my son was in middle school and, you know, a, a mother has a lot of, you know, things to do with their kids there. They need you. And he told me, like, mom, get a life. <laughs> and and I realized and so that I did. Right. And it was it was just it was such a transition for me. And it's not that he still didn't need me and I still didn't show up for him, but it, it is important in, in life sometimes to have a nudge, something nudge us to, to get a life because, yeah. because the other person actually does need to do some things on their own, many things on their own. Yeah. I mean, I don't love it, but I definitely think this second round of really just being slapped in the face. This, if we don't stay on top of this, this could change so darn quickly, really was the wake up that we both needed, that I needed to step back, he needs to own this, and that he can step up and own it, right? Like both, we really were too intermingled. I, I was intermingling myself. I don't know that he really owns that as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess that's what what marriages are for, right? Intermingling, and yes. then and then somehow finding finding your not losing yourself in it. Yeah, it's personal... completely outside of my area of spe ex expertise. <laughs> no, no, it's good, good though. Like, and I, I mean, with any tribe, right? Like with any core group of people, you find your ways of like how to be. And how to also how to be together and how to be that individual person, right? And the more we can kind of do both, I think we're better for it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, what is it exactly you do and how can people find you online? 
Awesome. Uh, so I, business coach, I focus on uh, really peeling back the layers of what's getting in the way of just having good, profitable businesses. Uh, and we do that through systems, through uh, worthiness, and, um, and redefining what a business focus is on profit rather than revenue. And so jenkleinclark.com is my website. And right now I have uh, a free offer of some simple shortcuts to make money in this month. That's at jenkleinclark.com backslash shortcuts. All right, perfect. And what's one or two takeaways you wanna leave people with? Oh my goodness. I would say decide who it is that you want to show up and figure out what are the things getting in the way of being that person. Uh, and there was a lot, right? Like I had to do a lot of de-gunking to be, to be able to, to stand and, and feel good about where I am now. Decommissioning, um, huh? Yeah, right? It's, yeah. And, and, and right along with that is, is to feel the feels. Like feel the good, feel the bad. I, I found so many ways to distract myself from the feelings. I thought I was supposed to push all that away, but really you're supposed to just lean in and feel it fully. And then it just moves out. And, and I'm usually better for it. I'm usually like, oh, I now have this awareness that I couldn't see before. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the word emotion comes from emote, which is to move to, to get out, right? Emotion, oh, I love that. I did not emotion, know that. Yeah, emotions are not made to stay inside. Right. I mean, they oh, teach us powerful. to keep them inside, but yes. that's not how they're designed. No. No. I'm definitely trying to do that more with my kids. I'm never good at it because I definitely, I'm like, my, I've been conditioned well, but as I, as I see it for myself, I'm trying to like, oh, look, look at what Bob just did there. That was miserable, right? Like, well, here's what we could do differently, right? Just yeah. owning even those mistakes. Okay, Jen. Well, thank you so much. That was fun. Thank you. Okay, and this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others and make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one -on -one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.